Uh, today on Coffee with Mike and Ray, um, pre president of Eastern Union Funding, Abe Bergman, is joining us to talk about the market and what's going on today, uh, what's coming in the future, and hopefully a lot more closings together. So 2014 comes around, crowdfunding happens, lenders come into the environment, um, companies like Share States come around. Uh, what happens? Well, so what happens in what sense? And as far as we, I, I feel like share states and RCNs and the rocks of the world kind of became disruptors of the what what hard money was. Okay, on that end, yes. So, look, I've been doing this since uh, 2001. I say 2021, make myself sound younger, but been doing this since. You're absolutely correct that um, up until 2014, hard money rates were what they are today, 12, 14, two points, three points. Sometimes the pricing was whatever's left at the table at the closing. I mean, that's that's really what, what was going on. Um, there was no leverage in the hard money world, definitely not in the type of deals that uh, you talk about the New York City, million, two million, three million dollar deals. Those were all straight family cash and people wanted to make a return. And absolutely, I mean, there were some people who tried to hang on and stay in that old business. They're they're all out of business today. They 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 didn't make it. They definitely, you guys definitely changed the uh, changed the market. I think early on, and I'm not uh, not not just to be nice to share estates. I think early on there was a couple of shops like you guys and uh, one or two others that were true to form. They they did what they said they were going to do, and they knew what they that what they were looking to do. So they came and they stuck. We smelled it early on. There was some of shops that were new in the market, we said they're not going to make it, and frankly, we can't rely on what they're telling us, and we just moved on from them, and um, and um, the the you definitely, in that world, changed, changed the market completely as to what, what pricing, and I think a lot, the, a lot of deals happen because of it, because, you know, you take these fix and flips, small six-family, ten-family units, a lot of that business that we were doing together for a long time, and I told you just before, I looked it up before I came in, we closed 353 deals together. I mean, that's that's a huge number. And that's just from, I think, 2017. It's 353 deals together. That's 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 a huge number. What is that right? in dollar amounts? Do we know? Dollar amount, I think I, it's close to like five, six hundred million. So it's a lot of transactions and the, the, a lot of work, right? So, but that's the testament to this being the new reality, right? You can have a product that's structured, that works for this kind of asset that never that never um, existed beforehand. And um, one thing that uh, we've always been uh, been good at was seeing who's the new lender in the market and figuring it out and adapting to it. You know, when I, I, I always, this time of the year, I have a funny story with um, WAMO when they came to the market. We were the first shop, first mortgage broker shop that really, uh, I, I will say we put WAMO on the East Coast in the, on the map. People say well, it's a little bit of a pompous statement, but the bottom line is it's true. We were the first guys who did it, and we did a ton of business with them. They it's came like 2005, in 2006? 2003, 4, I think it was, Seven. if I remember correctly. And we were, you know, th th this, we just got back to work, right? 16 days where a whole bunch of our clients were away for Passover, Easter, or whatever it is. Lawyers were away. Everybody was away. April always you lose half the half the month. And I remember that year when Wamo came into the market, they uh, I was called up one of the guys that I know there that was in in management on the West Coast, and they I called up just to say hi and say hey what's going on. I don't remember his name. 
And he says, oh my God, it's terrible. We just made this whole investment coming to the East Coast and the market's just dead. I'm like, what are you talking about the market's dead? He says, we haven't closed a loan in two weeks. <laughs> we signed up three deals in the last two weeks in the entire East Coast. I'm like, do you have a Jewish calendar? <laughs> <laughs> I remember I sent him a, uh, an Apple bank used to give out Jewish calendars. I sent him an Apple bank calendar. I says, you got to keep this on your desk because it's, it's going to be two weeks in April. There'll be a week or two in, in, in September, November that you're not going to do any business. But my point is that, you know, a good broker shop is people who go out there and they say, who's the lenders in the market? Who's new in the market? And what are they doing? And go out there and, and teach the market. Now, three months later, everybody jumps on board and everybody starts doing business with them. But that's that's the nature of the uh, of the business. So to, to us, that, re that really was a game changer. I agree. It was well, a game changer in the market. Do you market. think it's for the better or the worse? Because... While it, it did disrupt the business, something happens like in 2022 where the crowdfunding world has a hiccup and the, the rates do change and then things just quiet down. Well, things quiet, we're quieting down now regardless. Um, I think uh, overall, I would say was it's for the better because, like I said, a lot of deals happened because pricing made more sense, right? So that's what, that's what drives every real estate owner, right? Return on cash return on equity, IRR, right? Primarily a lot of them return on cash in day one, right? So the fact that you're able to borrow money at, at six, 7% cheaper, uh, and and not only that, in a more programmatic, programmatal, that's not a word, um, programmatic, <laughs> that was the word I was looking for, programmatic way, um, feel free to edit that out. Um, the, uh, the, um, to say it over the thing. Made it, made it, uh, made it, made it much, much, made it a business. I think that was a big driving factor why the fix and flip business became a business. Not that somebody starting out does one or two deals and then starts trying to get into the into the bigger business. We we share clients that have done 50, 60, 70 of these transactions over and over and over again. And they started in Brooklyn and then they went to Queens and then they went to, to Hartford and, and, and now they're in Miami doing this, right? It became a product. It became something that has changed a lot of what's going on. A lot of these two families, four families, six families have changed and been renovated and become new buildings because that kind of money is available out there. So I think overall it's a good thing. 2022, 2023, there's not a lot of transactions going on. It's nothing to do with that. I mean, the big guys are not lending either, right? The, they are, they aren't, right? Every day is somebody else. That's. Uh, I think 2023 is more of a capital stack readjustment than it is acquisitions and building so so i agree with you there there is there is a tremendous amount of liquidity in the market it's just hard to deploy it and i think for for two reasons you don't have sales going on because if you're a seller why if, if you if you don't have to sell why be a seller in this market you're not going to get top dollar for your deal why sell it right i mean unless you really really need to sell it why do it on the lending side, we spend hours and hours and hours every single day knowing where every lender is up to today, right? Because wherever they were there, wherever they were yesterday or the week before is not necessarily true anymore, right? So we're, you know, the lenders have the capital. There's a lot of equity out there. There's a lot of liquidity out there to put out on deals, but people are being cautious. What deal do I put it out on, right? Then there's a lot of scrutiny there's a lot of underwriting going on and you guys are all doing the same right that's not the and 
because of that, you have to, uh, it's going to take a little time till the activity goes back up. I mean, April was a very busy month, uh, not April, I'm sorry, March was a very busy month for us. And, um, you know, so it was our best month since June. So it's, uh, I imagine for you guys as as well. As a brokerage, if there's not that much transactional stuff happening or refis happening because of rates, what do you guys focus on? Well, we're spending a lot more time out there um, hustling to go get business. If you're a broker, this is the time to, you know, pound the road, be be in in people's faces. Remote doesn't work. It's, uh, (laughs) it's, uh, maybe, maybe I'm old school, but it doesn't. You have to... You know, just the other day, I had a broker come into my office, and I was pushing him to go out and and meet clients. I said, just pop in on them. Comes into the office, says, Abe, you're right. I said, what happened? He says, I'm calling this client. The client says, I got nothing now. I got nothing now. I got nothing now. Comes into my office, he says, I'm around the corner from this client's office. I call him up, and I say, hey, I just want to pop in for a cup of coffee. I'm around the corner. He walks up to his office. They're sitting. They have a cup of coffee. And as I'm walking out the door, the broker tells me, the client says to me, you know, I may have a refi that I need to work on, right? Whether that deal will close or won't close, but that's how you pick up business. And um, listen, we're big believers. Everything's up to God and how much business we're going to do. It's not up to us. But um, end of the day, you got to do what's what needs to be done to try to get the business in there. And I think, um, you know, I look back and I, I said it to myself, in 2010, after I looked back at 2008, I said, what did I do wrong in 2008? And what I did wrong in 2008 was I listened to the noise. And we all put our heads down and we said, there's nothing to do, there's no business out there, and we just came into the office and we looked at the walls and were depressed, right? And I said to myself then, I said, the mistake that we made was we should have, yeah, that's great, past 10 o'clock at night, you know, look online, read the paper, be depressed, do whatever you want, but during the day, get out there, hustle, work the phone, go meet your clients. There are deals out there. You know, we were talking about it right before, right? There is $4.7 trillion of loans coming due between now and 2027. Six, uh, I'm sorry, there's $4.7 trillion of loans on, on balance sheet lenders books right now, 60% of it coming due between now and 2027. Go out there, get that business. And that business is going to need structure. A lot of it, definitely if rates stay up, a lot of it's going to need structure, right? I mean, if you bought a deal two years ago, I'm, I, we do dabble on the real estate side. If you bought a deal two years ago, you're going to have to figure out how to structure the deal to be able to take it out in three years from now. Unless rates drop drastically, nobody underwrote expecting 6%. That's, nobody did that, right? Um, and nobody underwrote expecting cap rates that were more than 1% higher than what you bought it at. So these deals need structure, need creativity. Go out there and get that business. That's, it's, it's out there. And, you know, and I've, I've probably, people in the office have heard it from me over the years a million times. And now 2022 comes and I said to the, you know, and this is the mantra in the office, we say it all the time. That's great. All the, no, all the noise is great. I mean, everyone's saying this and predicting this, predicting that. But go make phone calls. <laughs> Pick up the phone, call, call your clients. Go get into your car, go meet your clients, and that's and ultimately it's making a difference. We're we're seeing business come in because of that, and you know you see clients that are maybe not we're, we're not as inclined to use a broker now. They're like you know we try getting this and the three lenders that we know are not lending. So, <laughs> you know, who is? That's the, uh, absolutely can brokers make a massive difference in a deal 
just from the deals we funded over the years and working with a broker and without, uh, broker doesn't get paid till it closes for most deals. And they will push all the deals. <laughs> they We're happy to get paid when it closes. <laughs> um, they, they will push. They will make sure the documents come in. They will make sure you get what you need to close. If there's a stip there, if there's an exception needed, they will fight tooth and nail. And that they're providing the value to the lender and obviously their client of getting what they need to close. I'm not going to disagree with you on this. <laughs> I mean, we were discussing this before where there are different sources now. Like uh, you mentioned in the Northeast, almost 90% plus of loans. Um, back what year was that? In 2000? When I, in 2000, the Northeast was totally broker driven. Over 90% of the deals went through brokers. That's not That's not the case today. Today, you know, with different services, people going direct to banks, um, having the ability to go online and find a lender, um, sourcing deals or, or whatever, or lenders themselves knowing who the borrower is and calling them directly. Um, that's You said it's come down to about 50 cent, 50%. I'd say about 50, 60%. 50, 60%. In, in, I think that number for brokers is going to go back up uh, in a market like this where people have to shop the rate, um, know who's actually closing. You could look online and see who someone rate, someone's rate is in the commercial world, but knowing if they actually close, the broker is just going to know that uh, more than any client or anyone else looking them up. And I think that's the biggest value add today is actually closing the deal. It could, the, your number could be off a little bit, um, whatever it is, if, if you can close it and if it's an investment property getting into the finish line, if it's a, a loan that's come due for the client, like you mentioned, um, very popular right now, just get them, get them closed. I agree. <laughs> I just had a conversation with a client on the way here who was complaining about some committee put in some added condition in the... Uh, we're closing hopefully in the next week, and the committee put in some added conditions, some undertaking that they have to take to get done, and client is complaining about it. I'm like, the good news is you have a bank ready to close for you. <laughs> Forget the rest. And like, you're in this market. I said, you'll take care of it. You'll get it done. Just just close the deal. Don't mess this up. So so I agree with you. Look, to your point, I since the day we started in the business, we were never components of every deal has to be by a broker or every client has to use a broker. It's a deal by deal basis. Uh, we have over the years told clients many times, we're not adding a value to your deal. You have a great offer. Take it. Use us while we're adding a value. It's about a relationship. This business is all about relationships. Absolutely. And it pays off people. Brokers who are loyal to their clients and clients that are loyal to their their vendors are, are um, it pays off in, in spades. It's, there's no question about it. Uh, I, I just actually um, was involved in a, a sale of a transaction to a to a real estate owner. And the the guy said to me, he says, you know, I don't know what to do. You're involved and you helped me out over here. I was somehow or another, I got involved. It's a long story. But and he says, but I have this broker who helped me get into the business. I'm very loyal to that broker. I'm like, Stay, stay with them. I mean, I said I would do the same thing. It's, 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 it's what uh, relationships is. Is this whole is this whole um, whole business? And say throughout the years, I've saved my clients tens and tens of not hundreds of thousands of dollars and helping them get things structured right. I also made a nice living on it the last twenty years. So it w- I didn't do it altruistically. I, it's uh, but it goes both ways. That's what it is. In a world where. In this environment, there's no licensing requirements. There's no loyalty to license numbers. Um, what do you find is the secret sauce of keeping sales guys loyal to the company where they could come in, learn the trade, open up their own shop and move on where they actually stay with Eastern? So 
it, it's it's a great point. Um, not everybody stays. There are people who have left and opened up competition. Um, and I wish them all luck, and they should all do well. There's enough business out there. I we we pay top commissions, you know. So ultimately, end of the day, a broker who's by me, who's being successful, has two choices. Do you want to go work for another shop? Okay, so what's the other shop doing better for you? They're not paying the same commission. I'm paying a higher commission, right? Um, everybody knows the same lenders. There's not really one shop that's going to say we can do something better than the other. We put a lot of investment dollars in in marketing and branding and 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 having resources for the brokers. So to go to another shop is usually not the uh, not the fear that I have. So broker says, hey, let me go uh, let me go to my own basement. Right, and this way, I don't whatever piece Eastern keeps from my revenue, I don't I can keep it. But then I tell I've had that conversation with brokers, and I say, okay, let's let's take out a pen and paper. You're gonna have to rent an office. You're gonna have to, you know, pay for web hosting. You're gonna have to pay for an email address. You're gonna have to probably pay for some tech company to fix your computers when it's down. You're gonna have to do some printing, some marketing, some advertising. You probably have to hire an underwriter or a secretary. You're gonna have to do admin and fees. Yeah. Admin fees, and they start doing the math, and all of a sudden they say, "You know what? It's not the. Uh, it's not really worth it." I mean, on the ownership side of the mortgage brokerage business, that's not where you make a lot of money, right? So, I make more money off my own brokerage than I make than I make off my business, right? So, I make money off my business, but it's because it's a lot of people that we, you basically, you're getting an economy of scale of being able to run a business, but there's, it's not that big of a margin. And if you're paying top commissions, our brokers, our brokers, um, can get as high as 75% commissions, right? So they start off the year a little bit lower and then they can wrap up as high as 75% commissions. There's not that much money left over on the table that it's worth of them to go elsewhere. And if they close one or two or three extra deals a year, because they're part of a larger shop, because someone else in the office says, oh, you got this deal. I got a lender for you. They, they more than made up for it. I'm a big proponent of that, especially in an office like uh, you guys, like if you're on Flatlands or even in Lakewood. Um, and I always say this to our sales guys, like you could be out on the street meeting your clients, but to work in the office uh, afterwards is very important because if if me personally, if I'm doing a deal or someone else in the office gets a deal or gets an exception, if you're home or not in the office and don't hear about that, or you, in your case, you don't hear about a lender that just pulled off something crazy or got the leverage. And I come visit you guys, you know, quarterly. Because it's not only that you get to see the face, but you get to hear people's deals. You get to hear maybe we could adjust our program to work on the deals that you guys are bringing in. Absolutely. Um, but I, I'm very big on that, especially in your office. You hear it all the time. I've seen co-brokes within your office where um, it's a it's a deal that someone else is working on. And let's say I have a relationship with Isaac and he knows, you know, I just did a deal like that with Michael. I'll help you get it to the finish line with them. Right. And you see it all the time. Absolutely. I mean, there is there is nothing like working in an office, and I have to be a little bit passionate about this. Nothing to do with the real estate industry. Whether I have people just getting out of college or getting their first job coming to me, and they say, "Hey, what should we do?" I said, "Don't take a job that get, lets you work remote." That's what I tell them all. They look at me like I'm crazy. You know, I'm an old man, but I'm not that old. I'm not that crazy. Says, so end of the day, you're going to learn. You're going to get trained by the fact you're in an office with other people. And end of the day, your boss is going to know about you because when your boss comes into work, he or she sees you sitting there and and says, oh, this person shows up to work, works hard, right? You work remote. At the end of the year, you call up for your bonus or your raise. And the boss says, I don't know who this person is, right? So I'm a big proponent of being in the office and, and, uh, and, and people working out of the office. But specifically in our industry, 
you there's so many deals that happen because you're in the office and you got this deal in and you say hey guys i i got this deal i don't know what to do with it I'm like oh why don't you try you know share estates right why don't you why don't you call michael he's gonna he'll do that deal for you right and if you're sitting at home you know even though you know about michael and you know about share estates right you forget about it right or it's not on the you know, you don't know that just yesterday we got a, you, you were in the office and uh, speaking to the guys and say, hey, but, you know, we're able to lend in this new geographic, we're able to lend in this area now, which a day before you did it, right? Or whatever it is, right? So it's, there's a huge value to being in the, being part of a group and, and you close a lot more deals that way. That's how our ramp up started with Eastern Union was, it wasn't the fact of showing up to the office, but it was a deal closed and it was the first deal closed. And after that close, I guess the broker told the office, he said, I closed with this company just now. At at that point, was we brought private lending to single digits. So it was like 9% on a hard money deal. You should call him. And and that it, it took off. But you could tell people about what happened the first time you approached someone. For the first there. time, it, it was, <laughs> I still remember, I was at a conference and I, I will, I'll say the name was Moti Blau. And I told him, like, he's like, well, could you do hard money? And I said, oh, 12 and 2. He goes, I get that from my uncle. And he says, call me when it's cheaper. So I kept calling him until it was cheaper. And and uh, to this day, I, I spoke with Mati yesterday, and we've done a lot of loans together. Listen, if anything, you can say Mati is a straight shooter, says it the way it is. <laughs> you know what I love about him? He will yell at you one day, and the next day, you want to grab lunch? I was like, sure. <laughs> Let's go. So I, I it's I will say many many, many years, years ago, ago and we haven't spoken to him in years. Jim Carpenter from New York Community Bank told me he says, "Eighth, we're in a weird industry. One minute we're comp com we're competitors sticking knives in each other's back. Next minute we're doing deals together." So that's what I'll never forget when he uh, say told me that something Ray always says is just always always be friends with everyone. You never know where it's going to change, where you're going to work together. And um, after all the years and listening to it, I'm a big believer in it where people I never thought I would work with, but it's some of the people who've done the most deals with. Right. So well, I've seen I've seen clients who have gotten blocked out of banks because they were didn't treat bank A properly and whoever that loan officer was ended up working in another bank. And that's uh it's a small industry. People We see the, we see the same thing on the capital market side. So some of our capital, capital market sales guys might not do right by someone that works at ABC fund and then Years later, that person moved to another fund. Absolutely. And they just refused to take the phone calls. Right. Yeah. I say, you know what? When you're going to get frustrated with someone, uh, you have two choices. Um, when you're in a situation that things are not going right, you have a choice. You can yell and scream and feel better that you yelled and screamed, or you can get the deal done. But you can't get both. So you got to pick which one you want. <laughs> Some days it's yell and scream. Some days it's get the deal done. You have to, you can't get them both done. <laughs> the, uh, Got a fake one. Sometimes you got to let it out. <laughs> I'm not saying no. I didn't say it's one or the other, but you know, I definitely scream less now than I did 20 years ago. I think uh, I've gotten uh, gotten past that. I think human nature is destined to evolve. Why not become a lender and become and stay a broker? I don't know. I've we've never been a lender since the day we started in the business. Part of our our culture, part of our marketing was that we're not lenders and we're com therefore completely unattached to anybody and we can literally on every single deal push you to do the deal that makes the most sense for you. Will I say that we'll never be a lender? I don't know, but even, you know, look, there's a lot of lenders out there that are not really lenders, they're just brokers, right? So the table funding, 
Right. I mean, we sometimes get lenders who call us up and say, we're lenders. And we're like, are you, you know, is it discretionary funds? Yes, it's discretionary funds. And then we get a term sheet that says on it, everything but share estates on top. But we know it's a share estates term sheet, right? So, so we get Shocking. that, right? So, ah, um, so um, and then we call you up. We say, tell this guy to stop uh, claiming he's a lender. Or she's a lender, right? So, um if we were to become lenders, obviously it would be really to become lenders, but part of our DNA has always been that we're not lenders, that on every single deal and every client, it's what's best for your deal. And if you can't, I, I think it's hard to be a lender and a broker, to be both, it's it's one or the other. So if we were to change, then it'd probably have we to be see a full it. change. We, we get pitched all the time to give our fallouts to ABC brokerage and we just right. say, if we, if we say no, a deal just dies there. That's it. Right. It's also tough on your side, right? Because what are you going to do? If the deal came from a broker, you can't do it. If yeah. it came direct, then you could, you know. We say no, we just say no. Even if it comes directed, if you send it to the somebody and it doesn't work, then like, well, how do you look? They're like, well, you referred this guy to me. So I'd rather just not be that, <laughs> rather be done with it. One of, the, one of the things I learned many, many years ago was uh, it was one of the partners at Marcus and Millchap who said this to me, and I'm embarrassed I don't remember his name now, So, but it will come to me. And he said, you know, they were able to grow the business is because they said, this is what we do, and every single person there had to commit to focus 90% of their working day on that, what, on, well, what they do, right? And I took that to heart. It because, makes sense. Because if you, if you do everything, then you do nothing. And so we, you know, we, we're very, we stick to, we're mortgage brokers, commercial investment sales properties, mortgage brokers. So when I get the call for the iron ore mining farm, it's not what I do. It's, it's not what I know. So we try to, you know, stay very, very true to our core, what we do. Being in the commercial world right now, what do you, what do you think the most popular asset still is today? If you were going to, like, if, if you had your dream client, and they come to Eastern Union, it would be, you know, which landlord, which... So I don't, I don't know if, these, if I can pin it down to one. I will say it's fascinating to watch how retail took a, a, a complete 360. Bad. No, they, they, there was a period of time where retail was the office of today, right? Everyone told you, we're not lending on retail, right? Yeah. And today we're doing a ton of retail business. So it's, it's unbelievable. Obviously, multifamily is always going to be the business that everybody wants to do, but, um, you know, th th that's true. You know, so I would say that the top three, without pinning me down to one, will be multifamily, retail, and industrial. Um, we're doing a lot of healthcare, we're doing hospitality, um, and we're doing office on a case-by-case -case basis. Office is, is struggling now, there's no question about it, but it, it's it's really much more unique to each, and, uh, each office asset. Office South is busy as hell. So we had a long conversation no. about this last time. Last time, in Miami, uh, Mike was in the crazy. office. So it's interesting. You have, first of all, people don't realize this. I didn't realize this till literally about maybe six or eight weeks ago. I was actually at a meeting in Miami um, at, a, at an attorney that I use, and was sitting in the office, and we were talking about COVID because that seems to be the popular conversation at some point in every meeting, and the. <laughs> And the attorney, and this wasn't a, a one-man shop. This is a nice-sized firm. They, they have 70, 80 attorneys there. And they said, we were out of the office for three weeks. And I'm like, what? You were out of the office for three weeks? I mean, I, I started going back to the office after three months, and I was looked at cross-eyed, you know, that, uh, <laughs> how you doing that, right? 
And he says, no, we, we, you know, they said that people should stay home. We tried it. It didn't work. Three weeks later, we sent out an email to everyone. Says either come back to the office or uh, find another job. He says there was one exception, some lady in the office who had some serious medical issues. So we let her work from home. But other than that, it was either come back to the office. I'm like, what? Three weeks can't be. Right, we're coming from New York, right? So <laughs> three weeks—that's like middle of March, right? We we were lock your doors, right? So shut it down, right? There's uh, rubber, rubber gloves rubber. to go shopping. Yeah, I mean the barbecue. So, so <laughs> I couldn't believe it, and I my next meeting was actually with an architect over there, also large architectural firm. And I said, by the way, how long were you guys at? It says, ah, oh, we were uh, a little bit, you know, more conservative than other people. We were out for four weeks, right? <laughs> so people don't realize that. You know, they never got into that mindset of don't go into the office, right? Three weeks, four weeks, three weeks later, you're back into your regular, your regular day-to-day operation. We had people staying out of your office six months, nine months, a year, two years, right? So people sort of got into that. So I think that, that, right. So that, that, that made a very big difference. But that being said, I think one thing that did change with regards to office space a lot in COVID is that... I think companies, and I see it by us, are much more amenable to be in multiple occasions. Not not to be in the office, but if you have, if you had historically fifty thousand or a hundred thousand square feet of office, and you're the president of that company, you're much more okay if they if your people come to you and they say, you know, we have thirty people who live in Somerset, we have thirty people who live in Long Island, and we have thirty people that live in the city. Do you are you okay with having three offices? And now you say, okay. As long as the people are coming into a office, right? So they each they're each getting they you commute once in a while office to office. You do have Zoom is is obviously used a lot more. You know I'm surprised we're not doing this on Zoom. You know that's the uh, it's it's used a lot more. And and I so I I think you have suburban office doing a lot better than a downtown or Manhattan office space. That's number two. What we're seeing is that you do see a lot of the senior people, the C-suite people, are saying. I want an office near my house, right? And frankly, if the people who work for me have to travel, let them travel to me versus me traveling to them. So when you have a C-seat executive that maybe lives out on Long Island who is commuting every day to the city, they say, we'll take office in Long Island or in Brooklyn. You can't get an, a decent office space in Brooklyn. It's not available. Everything that gets built gets fully leased. And, you know, I, we're... It's it's a family side of the business. We're we're developing a office building on 74th and Collins. It's there's no competition out there. There is no office, nice office space around there. And you have all these executives that live across the street. Okay, we're not on we're we're on the dry side. On the water side, you got 10, 20, 30 million dollar condos. And those people are saying is we want to have an office space near our house or our home and let other people commute to us versus us commuting to them. So I do think you're seeing more and more of that office space happening. I think it's similar to Great Neck. You have a lot of the Fortune 500 companies, and their office buildings are right here on Cutter Mill Road, and the people live two minutes from Right here, right. Why should I drive to the city? I still get to go to an office. Absolutely. And uh, when I say Brooklyn, you can't get office. I'm talking about where I live, which is in Midwood. not talking about downtown Brooklyn. Downtown Brooklyn is is Manhattan, right? You You got vacancy there. But you got to play. But where I live, and those of you who know Brooklyn, know Strand Avenue. There's five new office buildings that were built. Quentin Avenue. There's huge office building that was built, and they're they're full. You can't you can't get a, you can't get a space in them. I I get a call every week. 
any space available in your building? I'm looking. I'm looking for an office. Oh, in Flatland? Yeah. And that building's been full for a while. Yeah. Well, well there's one tenant moving out now, but it's I think spoken for already. So. And who, who are the tenants? It's us, Eastern Union, Riverside Abstract is uh, there in the. Uh, yeah, that's the one in Brooklyn. Um, it's you guys, Eastern thing. Um, Apple is a. Is no ATM machine in town there. <laughs> no, that's Cross River's Cross ATM River. there. Yeah, so that was uh, they have downstairs. Uh, uh, and they, they used to have an office in the building. Now um, that's actually the one that's moving out. There, some of the board members had an office there, but they moved out. Uh, one of them moved to the island. One of them moved to Florida. So they're relocating. And then there's uh, is big, TBG uh, still there. Um, no, so TBG, TBG is still there, but they're moving out. That one, that, that office space is moving out. A good friend with Yoel. Right, right. So Yoel's in that building. Love him. And then there's a big, um, nursing home management company has in the rest of the space. Not the, uh, it's two brothers, now. No, Yoel, he has brothers, but they're not in the business. No, the nursing home. No, 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 no. No? No. Let's see. That's the, uh, so I think, I mean, office is a challenge in that sense, but it's, it's, I think it's going to happen the same thing that happened to retail. It's not going away. It's just getting recast into what Different. works and what doesn't work. And yeah. once people figure that out, it's going to be the same thing. I mean, we saw it happen with retail, right? Everybody yeah. thought retail was gone. It's not gone. I right? think you see it in Manhattan now that even Manhattan companies that have office space are using an excuse to get people back to the office. Like if you want to keep your job now, like they're telling people you have to come in now. Um, you seeing Meta or Facebook is doing another 10,000 I've had four meetings with four different banks, not private institutions, four different banks in the last two months. All four of them independently told me that they changed the policy. The worst they went to was three, three days in the office, two days out. Worst, best, however, depending which side of the table, what you call it. JP Morgan started right. with four and they made it. Now you have to be in five, except in the so, summer. So I've four different banks that had much more lenient remote working options all said to me independently, just in conversation says, yeah, we've people got to be back in the office. We'll let them three, three days in the office, two days out. One of those two days being Friday. So they want people in the office. Absolutely. See like Manhattan fried. You have all the, the lunch spots, the cafes and everything during the day where people were going to pizza place, but they're all losing our business. We had a borrower. Uh, had a crazy business that had where the, his, his, he had 10 pizza places, um, only one of them across from the hospital survived. The other nine in financial district and other places, he had to shut them all down. And it was because the, it said the office, the offices made his business willing and last and from listen, having birthday parties. Right, right. I do think Manhattan is a big chakilitha. I think Manhattan office would definitely come back. I think it's important for for the city itself to survive for with all that retail what you want to for people to have a space it's good the residents will spend money but i think some of this walking the streets whether it's someone working in the office that could stand on the shirt needs a new shirt to whatever it is is going to go in that store and buy something right right so i mean the office space will come back eventually but i think it's more than just people coming to work i think without getting too political manhattan has to be cleaned up yeah the sturdy the it's <laughs> 30, the, the homeless issue has to be addressed, and that doesn't mean homeless people shouldn't be taken care of. I don't want to be misquoted. They need to be taken care of. They should be taken care of, but letting them live out on the street in the winter is not called taking care of them. So I don't I don't want to get too political or, or anything like that, but it, it's, it's a problem. It, it's not something that uh, 
that doesn't that, that the can't current be solution is not a solution. No. no. And I just came I just spent the last sixteen days in Los Angeles, so they can do the same thing there. <laughs> I heard Los Angeles is rough right now. It's it's rough, but it's funny because it's not as bad as it used to be. They did they clean up. They did clean up certain areas. So again, let's not get too political. What got cleaned up? <laughs> At the um So I know a lot of people have probably asked you this question in the last year. The the like crystal <laughs> the crystal ball like of do you think rates do you first of all on inflation do you think this no. is <laughs> do you think this trend of them fixing it, inflation is happening do you think there's going to be more fed increases coming up or do you think they're at a point where maybe they have one more and they're going to stop um and then with these fed increases stopping do you think that at some point this year the fed's going to be like hey we're going to drop at a quarter or you think that's not happening till 24 or later on that they're going to keep it where it is for a bit so i have absolutely no idea um I do wish the feds would come out and just tell us what they're going to do, because I think the biggest challenge is... I don't, know, I don't even think they know what they're going to do. Right. So, But if they would just say, even if they came out tomorrow and they said, hey, we're going to raise it two more times or, or one more time, whatever it is, and we don't want raises, obviously, in our industry, but if people know what what's going to happen, we people can get back to doing business full of forecasting, right? So... As we know, every single real estate buyer has a very simple spreadsheet. Then one of the boxes on that spreadsheet, one of the cells on that spreadsheet is interest rate. And the second you plug that in, it affects the cash on cash, affects the IRR, and that determines what price they're able to pay for it. But when they can't plug that number in, it becomes problematic with being able to underwrite deals. So do I think there's going to be another increase? If I had to bet, I have no idea. But if I had to bet, I would say there'd probably be one more. Um, do I think there's going to be before the end of the year, um, either no more increases beyond that, or even maybe one quarter of a point cut. I actually was sitting at the, uh, we were sitting at the poker table and making bets. Now I would bet yes, but I, I, it's a total gamble. <laughs> I have, to, I have uh, no idea. I just, I think the uncertainty of what they're doing is what's keeping the market back from being able to get back to business. It's very interesting when you go out there talking to owners for the most part throughout the country, rents are up rents vacancies are not up vacancies are pretty stagnant right then rents keep on rising so there are people there are people living in buildings there are people paying rent uh, are there certain pockets that have issues yes but but that's always been like that right so it's based on local economics but the there's a lot the fundamentals for the most part are good there's a lot of liquidity in the market there's people renting the market people are working you know, you just need to be able to get back to being able to, uh, you know, I I give the example. I said it's like opening up a fruit store and being told a week after you sell your apples what price the wholesaler is going to charge you for it. <laughs> so it's, right, the lifespan yeah. of a deal of an acquisition is a minimum 90 days, 120 days, right? So I have to go to contract today on a deal or, not, yeah. or a client that's going to contract today on a deal, maybe go hard in 30 days. And not cl- and not closing for another sixty ninety days afterwards, and not knowing what rate they're going to borrow money at. It's it's very difficult to do business that way. Definitely, it's a hard it's a hard trigger. I have a, another question. I, I guess uh, from two thousand eight two thousand nine, we saw a banking crisis, and you saw the banks go through turmoil. And then about thirty days ago, we saw similar with with Signature and SVB and all that. And do you think if the weekend didn't hit, do you think that bank? domino effect with the banks would have kept going if the withdrawals would have kept happening or if, do you think the weekend saved the banking industry in this country or and do you think it's over 
where do you think it's going to keep going right now? Because he asked a lot of questions there. I, I, I'm a bad guy. <laughs> I'm a bad guy to ask this question to because, and I've admitted this already publicly. I think I was quoted in the Wall Street Journal on this. Um, I admitted this publicly. I, I called it wrong on Friday when people were calling me frantically. I left all my company's money in Signature Bank, 100% of it, right? Because I did not believe anything bad was happening. I thought Signature's balance sheet was fine, and I thought we're going to uh, just be good about it, right? This is, we're going to come Monday morning, and and, and, every, and everything's going to be fine. Now, I don't claim to understand banking regulation, and I'm, uh, I, I understand. I know how to do a mortgage on a building. I'm a simple, simple guy. There was a lot better ways to save that bank than to, to shut them down. If if you're going to argue they needed saving, I think a lot of it was just noise and rhetoric. Their balance sheet was good. All you had to do was lend them some money against their balance sheet, and they would have been fine. But I don't work for the federal government, so I don't I don't really think the issues at Signature Bank, um, uh, and I think most people would agree with me, were anywhere near the level of what was going on at SVP. Right. So that's that's the uh, that's the um, that's the reality. Um, for whatever reason, they handle it the way they handled it. And there's a lot of different theories. I don't know which ones are, which ones, which ones are true. I think they played it off as if it was a cryptocurrency line issue. Right. So yeah, I mean, the I I, I that that was a, at least that's some of the theories. It makes sense. I buy into it, but I don't know. So I don't really think there was you know there was maybe one or two other banks that. Uh, that potentially had this issue. You look how easily everybody calmed down. It was just by the government saying we're going to back the deposits. That's it, so you can do the same thing without shutting banks down, right? So all you have to do is go out and increase FDIC insurance, right? If that's what you can do, if you're backing them anyway. So again, I, I don't understand this stuff. So, but these are the questions that go through my mind. If you're going to save the save the people's money by telling them don't worry your deposits are good so essentially all you did was give them insurance on their money right that's all you did so you could have just as well have just increased everybody's insurance and everybody would have been good right so i don't nice. know but you know i love the guys at signature i'm friendly with a lot of them and we know each other for many many years and i look you know hope to have a long-term relationship with them and wherever they end up landing but I was getting calls from reporters, and we're talking about from from the real deal, from cranes, from from Wall Street Journal. You know, it, how is this going to affect the lending? Right? Let's be honest. There is whatever it is, seven, eight thousand lenders in this country. Unfortunately, for the people who work there, because a lot of them are my friends, is one less. Right? But it doesn't doesn't affect lending. <laughs> we, we're if you live in Canada with your six lenders or seven lenders and you eliminate one, that potentially is an issue. But this this was overblown on a lot of a lot of different uh, sides. And that's what a lot of people were saying is the social media, the group chats where you probably heard a lot of the stuff coming out of those. You had WAMU that took 16 days. This took 48 hours or 72 hours. And they're saying with uh, wire transfers. And I think there was talks about like the removing the Fed you know, the Fed cutoff time and keeping wires. I, I think keeping the weekends is good. I think having a Fed cutoff time is good. And they were having talks recently of removing it, that you could just keep wiring money at any time during the day, which I don't think is the best. What idea. is the official cutoff time now? Um, well, they say five, but you can go all the way to 6 p.m. With with Signature, that's why everyone loved them, because they, right. they would push the time. So, because I'm asking, because, you know, when you go down south, they have a different mentality. 
And my attorney there says, well, uh, three o'clock is the cutoff. That's what Citibank told me. Three o'clock <laughs> is the cutoff. I'm like, not in New York, isn't it? California, <laughs> it's 1 p.m. Right? It's like, so it's, it's, but that's, but it was a service that, right? We're trying to close deals, right? How many deals can close by three o'clock in the afternoon, right? Do you want to do a wire by five, right? That's, uh, most deals in those states are funding next day. You're closing right. a deal and you're getting funded the next day. Then you have clients yelling about the one day of interest that they paid. So. Oh God! <laughs> so, so the broker, the brokerage grows, your footprint grows. At what point do you consider vertical integration? Do you get into title? Do you get into law firms? So into appraisal? Do, do you maximize your impact on the industry? Or do you just stay true to? So the only the only space that we've expanded into was investment sales. We opened up a couple of years ago in the Mid-Atlantic, out of our Maryland office. We opened up investment sales. And beginning of last year, we opened up investment sales out of our office here in Valley Stream that's covering New York, New Jersey. So that's the only area that we expanded in, in that direction. Uh, it was a logical expansion because obviously you're dealing with a lot of the same people, plus you're financing those deals. And um, we're... It's using a very similar culture. It's looking at deals that make sense. Um, you know, clients that are expecting the impossible. It's not the listings that we're looking for. So that that's an area that we're growing in. Probably gonna do a summer internship program. Hire a bunch of people to who want to get into that sp- that space, and then see. It also gives them an option if they like the investments. If they're successful and they like the investment sales space, they can stay there. If they want to get onto the finance side. It's, um, they have that option, option with us, but you know, we've never looked to compete with the title companies. We never looked to compete with the, uh, with the insurance companies and, uh, you know, and, uh, and that it's, uh, goes back to that stay focused yeah. kind of, uh, have to. Makes sense. Anything. Is there any next steps for Eastern in this space or changing, you think how, how will brokerage works or analyzes deals or submits them to banks or? Are possible disruptors? Well, I am a partner in GParency. That's my competition. So uh, I'm doing enough disrupting on that side. So that's the, uh, um, although I'm not involved in the day-to-day, I'm on the board of GParency too. My partner um, in Eastern, who left Eastern's day-to-day, is the one running it all day. So I think I'm doing enough disruption over there. Um, the hear all about it. I think we're, <laughs> I think we're going to focus on, we, we, we have... W- you know, I, I think that's a good lead-in, right? So the reality is the world changes, right? So, um, you know, the the uh, my partner's father used to say status quo is going backwards, right? So if you just keep doing what you're doing, you're going backwards, right? You have to you have to evolve, you have to change with time. And the reality is that the brokerage I never heard the status quo is going status backwards. quo is going backwards. Wow. Yes, it's uh, <laughs> it's great. So it makes perfect sense. It, and it's true, right? It's really, really true. Yeah, it's great. So, you know, what what's happened to the brokerage industry in the 20 years that I'm doing it? In the 20 years I'm doing it is that the brokers are valued for the deals that are tougher to place, that are need structure, that need help. Maybe a borrower that doesn't yet have the experience to the place that they want to get to, right? So either they've just done a couple of very small deals and now they're doing the first decent-sized deal. You become a liaison. We've become the LEAs and we've held their hands, helped them grow. We've had clients that are clients of ours for years that started the first deal we did for them was a seven, eight hundred thousand dollar deal. Now we're doing forty million dollar deals for them, right? So we've when you when you change what you're doing, right, you need to graduate. So we found that 
hospitality, you know, specializing in other areas have helped us grow a lot. So it's our ho- hospitality. Um, I happen to be very proud of our hospitality group. Um, they are, pr- they are, and not probably, they are the best hospitality brokerage group in this country by far. Um, they're knowledgeable. They know Close what they're health. doing. Uh, ha- um, hospitality and healthcare, those two. They, they, they know what they're doing. They, it's, it's a very different, it's finance, it's real estate, but there's a business involved, right? So in, in a hotel and in, in healthcare, right? Those two, they're just really, really good at what they do, right? So we've expanded a lot in those areas. We've expanded a lot in, in, um, in the, and even on the regular commercial investment properties is we have a, and you know, all of them, right? So you take a guy like Alex Jaffa, right? Then you take. He's he's a senior. He's one of our senior underwriters. Toby, um, Nikki, these people, Dove, they they really really know real estate, right? So they're then not. It's not just paper pushing, and that's really where we've evolved, and that's where I think we're going to continue to grow. Is by it's a real value add to a customer is you have somebody who's analyzing a deal and giving you a true structure, true true analysis of the deal, right? So we get calls from clients all the time. So what do you think of this deal, right? Because they actually value our opinion, right? And, you know, we say to them, this is, I got a call from a lender today that, that owns a bunch of real estate. And they said, uh, we're well, rain on them. He says, what do you think of this deal? We're, we're having a hard time uh, wrapping our arms around it, right? So, so that's the, but that's, that's but that's, 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 that's something that's, I uh, give you guys a lot of credit that's for. That's a testament. Is, um, the way Eastern Union submits deals. So you guys have your setup. And then you give like a little narrative in an email that kind of explains the the deal itself, the sponsor, and then all the numbers are in your Eastern Union setup. That Eastern Union setup has become famous in the industry. So I've seen it's it. It's been borrowed a lot. It's been borrowed a lot. I've seen everyone's name. And I know as soon as I open up, I'm like, oh, you got this from Eastern. And, but what's great about that setup you guys send is everything on that deal is in there from the numbers to photos to a map to certain times explaining it. And I've had people send these long PDFs that... You don't need all that information. Like I, like everything else is, but you guys have it on there and it's always great. And it got to a point even where our own investors, like when they would tell me I have a deal from Eastern, it's like, oh, just send me their setup. I'll get everything from there. So, so I, I think I designed the original Eastern setup. It's, it's been improved upon oh, yeah. since, but, uh, but I will say that both, um, Ira and I, who, and, and, have, who started the business together and been doing it together for so many years, um, have we started out doing everything and anything in this business so when we opened it was literally me and him and uh, a couple of months in michael muller joined and we actually hired our first secretary to answer the phones right so we've underwritten deals we've put together those setups we've 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 gone to the appraisals i've done everything in this business so obviously you want to grow a business and it's, and it's as you guys know, you can't do everything. You got to be able to delegate. If not, you, if not, you, you, you're limited to how much you can do. Right. So, you know, thank God today we have, uh, we have, there's, there's a lot of other people in the company doing that, but we've really built it from the bottom up. So I know what it means to put together a setup. I know what it means to go to appraisal. I've painted walls before the appraiser, um, had to come up because the super wasn't done yet, you know? So, uh, <laughs> Of uh, we, we've uh, we've done it all, and that's that's uh, you know. So I think we we really know the business from the ground up, and uh, so thank you for saying that about our setups. But uh, 
it means a lot to me because of that. Yeah, I've I've seen it uh, in four hundred different colors now because of that. But definitely, um, people don't have to take it. They can call me and ask. I'll give them to them. You know? <laughs> it's not proprietary. There's <laughs> nothing I can do about it. It's an Excel sheet. A lot of times we like asking uh, questions, uh, just anything. And I, I don't know if you have a favorite question, Ray, on something of the past or. I think my my favorite question is if you could sit across the table from yourself and your 20-year-old self is across the table, what would you say to yourself? What would I say to myself at 20? Probably wasn't very smart at 20. That, that's... Um, um, what would I say? I think about that one. What would I say to myself at 20? There's not a lot that I'd do different. That's the, uh, that's the truth. I said already I would have handled 2008 differently. Um, I probably, probably, I think a lot that I learned over, over the years and, and being involved in running a business is it's not worth it to get excited. Um, you know, work through issues versus getting angry, or upset. I think, um, that probably took me about 10 years, uh, to, to learn. I think that would have had, had I known that 10 years earlier, probably would have helped me. Um, and I think another thing that, and this I really learned over the last five years is, um, you know, if somebody's working for you, they need to want to be in the job that they're in. I think if, and you know, we had hired an EOS consultant without getting into that. If I think the people working for you have to want the job that they're in, if they don't want the job, they'll never be successful. And if whoever it is, is not being successful in the job. As uh, I'm really, really, really bad at firing people. Um, <laughs> I, I hate it. I, I, I really, really hate it. It's but the it's, worst thing in the world. Right. It's the worst thing in the world. But I think, and I'm still bad at it, even though I know what I'm doing wrong, I'm still really bad, bad at, at it. I hate it. But it's, it's, it's worse to drag it on than, 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 than it is to just get it over with. It's better for the person that you're firing. They'll be able to, um, they'll be able to get, um, they'll, they'll be able to move on and get closure and get the job that's right. And it doesn't mean they're bad people. They're good people, right? But they're just not right for that job. And I think very important is that they need to want the job. And, and the people who are most successful are people who are, I want the job and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to, to make the company work. And I think, you know, we have a lot of those, thank God. So I don't have to fire people, uh, too often. So that's, uh, one of those things you actually just mentioned is something I actually learned from you also. Not through firing people, but uh, you said when there is a, a problem, just tell me what it is. Like, don't drag it along. Don't push it along. If there's a problem with a loan, tell me so we can either know if it's dead, we can fix it, we can get it to the finish line. And that's changed uh, a way of a lot how I speak to people. And it was something that came from you probably four or five years ago on a phone call. <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes. Say, if there's an issue, face it head on. I think that that probably I didn't know when I was 20. And I, I, I would say that that's. Uh, so, but probably the biggest item is, and I would tell this to anybody starting out: is don't get angry, don't get, don't yell and scream. Yeah, sometimes you will, will lose it. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying I never get angry, and I'm not saying I never yell and scream. Happens because we're all human, right? But I, 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 I definitely yeah, um, get upset less frequently than I used to, and I focus more on like, okay, here's the issue. How do we, how do we, how to deal with it? And if I do get upset i'll i'll just you know call up and apologize and uh and uh and move on and um you know all right good stuff 
Do you have anything else to share with us today? Let's do more deals. All right, let's do them. Love <laughs> it. Amen. That's the... Uh... So I always going to say to, I think, uh, the end of this year and the beginning of next year will be awesome. So um, definitely excited for that. Um, I, I do, I I, I, I will say... For different Izzy's Barbecue, though. Right. <laughs> I'm in. I will say that to you, I agree that at the end of this year, we should be... People don't realize that you guys and us and a lot of other people in this industry are in the transactional business, right? So if you're doing transactions, you can make money, right? It's not about if the market's doing better or the market's doing worse, right? Now the markets, we want the market to be doing better and everybody to be making money. And also it's easier to get transactions done, but it's about are the transactions happening? So if those transactions start happening, then we can, we can all, we can all do business. I was much, I was a much bigger pessimist coming into this year as to how much volume would be happening. And we all know, and anybody that tells you otherwise is lying that it's a lot less than it was first quarter of last year, first half of last year. But I was a bigger pessimist to how much ultimately would be happening. And I was pleasantly surprised on how much business we did January, February, March. So but, I agree well, with back you. Back to what you said, it's just the, the line item of the carrying cost changes. So the, the deal changes, the deal the changes with the deal to be made. There's still bankruptcy, divorces, foreclosures. There's, still, there's refinance. Yeah. There's, there's, there's all, there is less transactions. The line items change. The line items yeah. change. But there is, there, there is less transactions. No, I mean, look, refis are not happening, right? Yeah. Because you're not doing a refi for rate reasons, right? But I do agree with you that because of that, I believe the second half of this year is going to, there's going to be a ton of business out there for people to do. Hopefully, it will be on the positive side. It's not going to be because people are in trouble and, and losing their properties, but... You got to... 2024 be great. You got to go out there and do the business and just stay focused. Absolutely. Stay. And uh, let's let's continue to do a lot of business together because every time Mike shows up to the office, it comes with two bottles of scotch, so... <laughs> <laughs> I like drinking. It's fun. All right. Awesome.